following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and my goal for the next year is to pet at least one cat every day. And my name is Marguerite, and my goal is to pet at least one llama every month. Together we just saved the world from the Bezos robot army. And this week we are in Zihuatanejo, California. One little known fact about this place we're at is that they rang in the new year by burning down a bowling alley. Well, technically the forest fire did that. But the entire community agreed that it was for the greater good. The greater good. The greater good. And this week on the podcast, we are discussing part two of Chateau d'If by Jack Vance from 1950. Uh, Marguerite, one of our listeners, was very studious to remind us, I forgot to have you describe the cover from last week. Today's story comes to us from The Narrow Land, a collection of Jack Vance short stories. Marguerite, would you be a dear and describe the cover for our listeners? So the background's primarily blue. Uh, it's on a water planet. Well, a planet with water. And there's two aliens. They look like lizards, but they're humanoid. One's carrying a basket, and the other one's carrying some kind of gun, possibly a flamethrower. And they're wearing... Oh, one's naked, and the other one's wearing a vest. Oh, he is naked, too. A long vest. Those are some of the characters from The Narrow Land, <laughs> which is a fantastic story that we're not talking about today. So, quick recap on part one. Roland Mario was a listless, jaded 29-year-old who designs dog houses and rabbit hutches for a living. Recreationally, right? Every Tuesday and Friday at 3 p.m., he meets his friends at the Oxonian Square to drink the afternoon away. Namely, his friends Janiver, Ditmar, Pete Zare, and Bro. Bro. When Zara goes to Chateau d'If and suddenly becomes ultra-rich three weeks later, though he pretends to not know his friends... Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember this. Roland Mario seeks out the services of Chateau d'If, who advertise one thing alone. Adventure. Adventure. The adventure he gets is to wake up in the body of 56-year-old Ralston Ebery, executive at Ebery Aircars. And when we left off, he was in the park feeding peacocks, having just read a note about his new identity. And the fact that for a measly $10 million, he can now trade up his old body for a newer, younger one. One of his choice. And so the first sentences, since the recap, Mario read the sheet a second time. As he finished, it crumbled into dust in his hands. He leaned back, aware of nausea rising in him like an elevator in a shaft. The most hateful of intimacies dwelling in another man's body, especially one so gross and untidy. <laughs> but rich. He felt a sensation of hunger, and with perverse malice, decided to let Ralston Ebery's body go hungry. Why doesn't he work on making the body better? Well, give him some time. It's his first afternoon. (laughs) So Roland Mario is chilling in the park and considering his options. He has no scars, no marks that would indicate any kind of surgery for the brain transfer. And there's no indication whatsoever of how that was affected. (laughs) Now, he could go to the ACP, the Agency for Crime Prevention... But even if they would believe him without evidence, Roland Mario has signed a contract with Chateau d'If. 
no doubt nullifying any complaint he might have. Mm-hmm. Roland decides he'll have to tell his friends, Janiver, Ditmar, and Bro. But he worries that Mervyn Allen, apparently in charge of Chateau Deef, may be keeping an eye on him. Was he told not to tell anyone? He was told not to. Oh, he, okay. He also worries that Ralston Ebery may have liquidated his assets prior to his body swap. So Roland stands up from the park bench and immediately gets dizzy. As he walks through the park, he's disappointed by how poor condition his body really is. And by the park's end, he's accosted by a man who leaps in front of him to start yelling, quote, You filthy, misbegotten dung thief. Do you hope to live? You venom, you stench. It would soil me to kill you, but I shall. Hmm. Bummer. Roland steps back, apologizing and saying the man must be mistaken. But a dapper young man jumps in to scare off the angry guy. A dapper young man who knows Ralston Ebery and asks if he's heading back to the office. When Roland asks who the angry guy was, he's told it was Letya Arnold, of course. Who he, Ralston Ebery, fired. Though the young man does not know why Ralston fired Arnold. Hmm. Nor why Arnold's hanging out in the park across from his old work, waiting to accost the CEO. Well, because he just got fired. They head to a skyscraper, where the young man identifies himself not by name, but by rank. Office manager. Hmm, yay. How prestige. He shows Ralston inside, and they head up to his office, decorated with lots of blacks and chromes in a style that Roland absolutely hates. Oh, better change that. A short, middle-aged man named Louis Coriaos greets him. So you, let, okay, so let's say you're a rich dude, mm-hmm. which this guy obviously is because he paid $10 million. Ralston Everett, yes. Yep, Ralston. Why would you pick a poor person? Like, even if they've got a hot bod. You mean to, for the new body? Yeah. Because he's going to liquidate his assets first. But he doesn't have any assets. Oh, you mean his old body's assets? Exactly. Oh, okay, sorry, I missed that. So, Louis Coriaos, that's C-O-R-R-E-A-O-S. I don't know any other way to pronounce that. (laughs) Lewis greets him, saying he has several matters to discuss, mostly about the fact that Ralston Every in the last few weeks has sold several patents to their competitors, as well as a steel plant and contracts, including some of their most profitable ones. Lewis Coriaos is furious, but Roland asks him, Can you conjecture how I plan to profit from these circumstances? Lewis frowns before saying, It sounds like you're doing what you swore you'd never do. Bring out a new model that would fly. How do you like the idea, asked Mario. Lewis Coriaus stammered, Why, Mr. Ebery, this is fantastic. You asking me what I think? I'm your yes man. That's what you pay me for. I know it, you know it, everyone knows it. Wow, that's... Self-awareness. You haven't been yesing me today, said Every. <laughs> Lewis stammers that he had no idea what Ralston was up to, but he supports it completely. And so Roland tells him he's now in charge. That's <laughs> right, in charge of everything. So in charge, in fact, that he can make his salary whatever he wants. Oh, wow. That so, sounds like a trap. Especially since Roland has some new personal projects he's going to be working on for the foreseeable future. Getting out of that body. Lewis departs, absolutely delighted by his inexplicable promotion. I would be suspicious if I was inexplicably promoted. And Roland calls the bank to find out what Ralston Ebery has left to his name. The total's around $1,200. <laughs> the rest has been transferred to numbered accounts, in addition to several million dollars embezzled from the company. Of course. 
Ralston's stomach starts grumbling, and since Roland wants to lose weight, he orders a very healthy lunch. Skin, milk, celery, and a chopped olive sandwich. Ugh, gross. I've never had an olive sandwich. I'm not sure if that's actually a thing in the past when this was written. Oh, could be. They ate real weird stuff back then. Or it's something from the future where it takes place. As the afternoon presses on, Roland can't stop thinking about Ralston's family. He looks at the pictures on Ralston's desk. His wife, Florence, was a frail woman, timid but given to preposterous hats. (laughs) What a weird analysis. His sons, Luther and Junior, are described as stocky and mule-ish. And his daughter, Clydia, is a full-cheeked creature with a petulant mouth. Oof, unpleasant. Roland calls up his new wife, Flo, on the video phone. She seems distant when answering, and when Roland tells her he'll be home for dinner, she looks like she's about to cry. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is a guy who abandoned his entire family to hop into a hot bod. And she states, You don't even tell me where you've been. Work, I would guess. Roland feels bad, so he asks, Florence, frankly, would you say that I've been a good husband? That sounds like a trap question. I've no complaints, she replies. I've never complained. Oh, so yeah, she's got lots of complaints. She's just never voiced them out loud. No, I want the truth, Florence. You've given me all the money I've wanted. You've humiliated me a thousand times. Snubbed me. Made me a laughingstock for the children. On behalf of Ralston Ebery, Roland Mario apologizes. Good for him. Then signs off the phone, and heading up a few floors to a landing pad that juts out the side of the skyscraper, he hails an air taxi and flies to the offices of Chateau d'If. The beautiful woman Thane greets him, asking his business. And where before Roland found her air of detachment to be charming, he now finds her comportment basically inhuman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Roland says he wants to see Mervyn Allen, however, for a business proposition. Mervyn greets him affably, saying, Hello, Mr. Mario, I rather expected you. How's everything going? Enjoying yourself? <laughs> Not particularly, Roland replies. I agree that you've provided me with a very stimulating adventure. And indeed, now that I think back, nowhere have you made false representations. (laughs) Alan smiles briefly, and Roland can't help but wonder whose head is inside that young and beautiful body. (laughs) Whose head, huh? Whose mind? That one, yes. (laughs) Your attitude is unusually philosophical, said Alan. Most of our customers do not realize that we give them exactly what they pay for. And they're super pissed. No question, remarked Mario, but don't mistake me. If I pretended friendship, I would not be sincere. In spite of any rational processes, I feel a strong resentment. Ooh, sick burn. I would kill you without sorrow, even though, as you point out, I brought the whole matter on myself. Well, honest. Roland goes on to say that Alan wants money, and he wants his old body back. Can't do that. Exactly. Alan replies his old body is now someone else's property. But for $10 million, he could have a healthy, handsome, new young body. <laughs> and for $30 million, he could have the widest possible choice. Roland asks how the brain transfer works, and Alan surprisingly gives him a giant info dump. Oh, really? You well, think it'd be, like, proprietary, sorry. Yeah, you know how villains are with, um, talking. Is he a villain, though? <laughs> uh, he surprisingly tells him that it's non-surgical, painless, and harmless procedure that only takes a few minutes. And the procedure is that the brain patterns, memories, and personalities are duplicated and swapped. Roland muses over his description before asking, quote, You mean I'm not Roland Mario at all? 
that thinking Roland Mario's thoughts is actually an illusion and not a cell in this body is Roland Mario? Hmm. Alan replies, every last corpuscle of you is Ralston Ebery. You are Ralston Ebery, equipped with Roland Mario's memories. Interesting. And he goes on to say that since it's Ralston Ebery's body, over time, Roland Mario, the personality, will gradually change and become more like Ralston Ebery. Oh, no, that's terrible. So Roland says he definitely wants a new body soon. Yeah. And Mervyn gleefully tells him he'll get it for only $10 million because he just wants more money. Yep. Greedy, greedy, greedy. Just as a reminder, uh, Mervyn Allen is behind building Empyrean Tower, the giant three-mile-high ziggurat, Mm. somewhere out in the Meadowlands, wherever that is. Right. And when Roland asks why he's building it, Alan tells him it's just for fun. And goes on to boast that he's currently in his 14th body. He's wielded power in the past, but now he just doesn't care for that. All he wants is to build a ziggurat. Wow. And he goes on at great length about all the wonderful things his ziggurat will have, like quarter-mile-wide ballrooms and waterfalls, museums, a thousand taverns. And then he drops the info that he, Mervyn Allen was one of the five people who first came up with the brain-swapping technology, and the other four are all dead. Interesting. Did he kill them? He doesn't say, but that's the subtext, yes. <laughs> Roland asks about Alan's secretary, Thane, and is told, quote, Thane is what she is. She lives by hate. Wow. You think I am her lover? No, not in any way. Her will is toward destruction and death. Oh, she sounds delightful. I've taken up enough of your time, Roland decides. I need to get away from these people. But Alan's not done villain-splaining, and says that if Roland brings in six brand-new young customers, he'll hook him up with a younger body for free. Ooh. Why, Roland's old friend Dittmar has been doing the same thing for quite some time now. Interesting. Because Dittmar is an old customer of his, and the body of Dittmar, with whoever's brain is in there is slowly dying of liver failure, and he needs a new one. Hmm. So in other words, uh, Dittmar, who arranged for Pete Zare and for Roland to go through this, is now a two out of six bodies for a new body. Ooh. Roland leaves the office and tries to flirt with Thane on his way out. Even though she's evil. And he totally fails, and then he just leaves. Hmm. So he heads home to his brand new family. <laughs> wow. Where his wife, Flo, greets him with furtive suspicion. Of course. His sons greet him with passive hostility. Mm -hmm. And his daughter has no emotions whatsoever except a constant air of puzzled surprise. Really? Ralston surprises everyone by eating salad for dinner. And then the 29-year-old bachelor, Roland Mario, decides it's time to do some parenting. Telling his lazy sons to stop being lazy and go get jobs. Because that always works. They replied that they already have jobs, as he knows, and pay rent to live in his house. <laughs> Roland's surprised, because apparently they're quite responsible and reasonable young men. Huh. So he tells them they don't have to pay rent anymore. What? You know, as a reward for having turned out so good. Huh, interesting. He glances at his daughter, who seems frightened, so he just doesn't say anything to her. Oh, good. And he decides to go to bed early, relieved that he and his wife have separate bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, that would be awkward. Waking up early, Roland gets to the office before anyone else, and he orders the janitorial staff to empty out his entire office except for a single desk and chair. The task accomplished, he gets to work with a pen and paper, plotting his revenge against Mervyn Allen. You know what my business is? Revenge. 
querying the internet in the story referred to as, quote, the public information service, mm-hmm. Roland finds out all kinds of information about Imperian Tower, mm-hmm. including the main architectural firm for the Three Mile High Tower, Kubel Associates. Once everyone's in the office, new CEO Louis Coriaos comes in. Roland tells him to secretly start purchasing shares of Kubel Associates. <laughs> Lewis asks, with what money? Exactly. This guy took on this like amazing new job and then realized, oh no, I was screwed over. This company has no money or assets anymore. And after some discussion, they say that since Ebery Aircars will be borrowing money in preparation for their big new projects coming up, Big new projects. They may as well just borrow some extra money to buy the architecture firm. Mm, may as well. Over the course of the rest of the day, Roland goes through the company books. And to quote, There was much evidence of Ebery's hasty plundering. The cashing of bonds, disposal of saleable assets, transference of the depreciation funds into his personal account. Hmm. But in spite of the pillaging, Ebery Aircar seemed financially sound. It held mortgages, franchises, contracts worth many times what cash Ebery had managed to clear. Well, it takes time to liquidate assets. Ugh, don't I know it. Mm. After much thought, Roland calls his new wife Flo, and with great subtlety announces, Florence, I won't be living at home anymore. (laughs) She was probably very relieved. That's what I thought, she replies. I think that, by and large, you'd be better off with a divorce. I won't contest it. You could have as much money as you want. <laughs> That's what I thought, she replies, hanging up. Mm, no, that doesn't fit his past personality. <laughs> CEO Louis Coriaos comes in to proudly announce he's managed to purchase 52% of Kubel Associates. That was quick. Yeah, and easy, jeez. Turns out that several stockholders are pissed off because the firm's been doing work for Imperium Tower at a loss. (laughs) Oh, I see. Not getting paid regularly while old man Kubel doesn't care and keeps committing resources to the project due to its prestige. Exposure, babe. (laughs) He's getting paid an exposure. Roland tells Lewis that Lewis is now the public owner of Kubel Associates while he'll own the firm in secret. And then he, then he orders Lewis to call them and tell them that the new owners are sending someone over to take charge. <laughs> and also, that's where Ralston will be all afternoon, and also from now on. He gets dressed in a blue suit and heads straight there, introducing himself to the office manager, Tossig. Oh, great names. Two others work in the office but are out for lunch. Roland announces that he's now in charge of whatever he wants, which is actually just the Imperian Tower project. Mm-hmm. Even though it's an enormous task with a ton of paperwork, his word will be law. Interesting. All decisions will go through him, and he has final say on every part of the project. Oof, micromanaging. One last thing, said Mario. This talk we've just had must be strictly confidential. You'll introduce me as a new employee, that's all. There's no word of the new control. Tossig agrees for fear of losing his job, and Roland's now the new boss. Oh, great. I'm sure he knows how to run that. Chapter 7. Roland throws himself into his new architecture job, working a steady shift of 14 hours a day. Oof. Quote, on the big screen, four feet before his eyes, flowed the work of 2,400 draftsmen, 800 engineers, artists, decorators, craftsmen without number, everything subject to his approval. Oof. But his influence was restrained, nominal, unnoticed. Only in a few details did Mario interfere, and then 
so carefully, so subtly, that the changes were unknown. As the months passed, Roland is shocked to find that Ralston Ebery's habits and mannerisms are slowly asserting themselves again. Uh-oh. And he's becoming less Rolandish with every day. Mm-mm. So he works with greater haste. One afternoon, he takes a break to sit at the cafe at the Axonian Terrace, where he watches his old friends Bro and Janiver drinking with Dittmar. He ponders going over to say hello when he notices another old man on the other side of the patio staring at his old friends. <laughs> Walking over, he asks if the man is Pete's heir. Pete is shocked, but says, yep, he's Pete. Sure am. He points to the table where Dipmar, Janiver, and Bro are rolling a dice. And Roland says he should say something. So he decides to walk over and introduce himself as a friend of Roland Mario. Saying that Roland has a message for Bro and the gang to stay away from Chateau Deef. <laughs> and don't trust anyone who tries to convince you to go there. Looking at you, Dipmar. Yeah. <laughs> also, Roland will give them more information soon. He goes back to find Pete's heir, but old man Pete is gone. Old man Pete. Cut two. After getting accosted in the street yet again by Lekia Arnold, Ralston Ebery goes back to Ebery Aircar's offices to meet with new CEO and yes-man, Louis Coriolis. He asks this time why Lekia Arnold was fired, and is told that the man worked in the radiation department, where he invented a new process to save fuel. Hmm. Being an employee of Every Aircarves, the patent belonged to the company. Of course. But because Ralston Every held stock in a few companies that would likely go out of business if the patent went to market, oh, brutal. he suppressed the patent. Lucky Arnold got pissed that his invention wasn't being used, so he built it himself and started using it, got fired, and then got taken to court where he was promptly bankrupted by the legal fees. That is how that works. When Roland asks Lewis for the details of the patent... He's told, quote, I think Arnold was either crazy or a fake. The idea he had couldn't work. It was like perpetual motion. So Roland reads the patent and finds out it's a method for removing mass from air cars that are approaching light speed. Hmm. And because Lecky Arnold's a grumbly old crazy pants, <laughs> Roland finds him brooding in Tanagra Square, right across the street from the office. Feeding the birds. <laughs> the peacocks, apparently. <laughs> Arnold is filled with rage to see Ralston Every approaching, but Roland diffuses the situation immediately by telling Arnold he was right all along. Ralston wants to put the patent to use in his newest model of air cars. Nice. Oh yeah, because he wouldn't have those shares anymore in those other companies because um, whatever former rich guy would have sold all of his shares to make money. But Lucky Arnold doesn't give a shit. Quote, Put that propulsion into an airboat? Pa! Use a drop forge to kill a flea? Where's your head? Where's your head? It's a space drive. That's where we're going. Space. Hmm. Interesting. He goes on to ramble. You took all my money, you. <laughs> if I had my money now, patent or no patent, I'd be out in space. Space. I'd be ducking around Alpha Centauri, Sirius, Vega, Capella. You can't go faster than light rolling protests. Who said I can't? You don't know the things I know, swine You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> It's weird to me that he called him a swine slut. Yeah, I talked over that. <clears throat> Since he's clearly a stable individual, Roland hires him on the spot. Oh yeah, he seems great. Telling him that he'll have his very own lab. And if he can actually build a ship that goes faster than light, Ralston Ebery himself will be first to test it out. <laughs> Which is probably a bad idea. 
you know, considering the grudge this guy has against him. Yep. Getting back to the office, Ralston thinks to himself, I wonder what Roland Mario's body is doing right now. <laughs> Whatever it wants. Probably so, getting fat. <laughs> so he hires a private eye to find out what Ralston ever is up to in his old body. Two days later, Private Eye reports to Roland in his office at the architectural firm. He's told that Roland Mario used to be a stable, well-liked individual, but he recently came into some money, and he's become a woman chaser who's been thrown out of every bar in town. <laughs> Where he got his money, nobody knows, but he's staying at the Atlantic Empire Hotel. Hmm. Roland asks for a weekly update of his activities, then tells the Private Eye to investigate Mervyn Allen. Hmm. Some days later, that report comes in. He was born in Vienna, recently came into some money, and now seems to run Chateau d'If. He lives at the Chateau d'If offices, and his sister, Thane, lives in an apartment a few blocks away, staying with an unknown old man. <laughs> Roland wants to know who's the old man. Who's the old man? Weeks pass. Doesn't get an answer. <laughs> You'll find out. Louis Coriaos arranges for Roland Mario to see the brand new air car that he and Letya Arnold have come up with. They call it the Airfarer. Oof, awkward. It's a marvel of modern engineering, but not marketing. <laughs> Roland asks how it's been working with Letya Arnold, and Louis reports, that man's crazy. <laughs> he sounds like it. He's a walking corpse. Really? All he thinks, all he talks about are his pestiferous electrons what he calls the blast effect. I saw a demonstration, and I think he's right. We can't use it in a family vehicle. <laughs> it's too powerful. Faster than light. After a bit more chit-chat, Roland says to put the airfarer into mass production. Please change the name. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Lewis says they could sell 10 million of them. Then remarks, if you didn't look so healthy, I'd say that you were sick. Hmm. <laughs> turns out that the new Ralston Emery is so different from the old one that it's like he's a new man. Oh, I see, yes. And what a man. He's dropped 50 pounds. Ooh, good job. And Mervyn Allen himself may not even recognize him. Hmm. Cut to... Every week, Mervyn Allen conferred with Tossig and Old Man Kubel, approving, modifying, altering, cancelling, and expanding. From recorded copies of the interviews, Mario worked, making the changes Allen desired and meshing them carefully into his own designs. At last, the work of 200,000 laborers is complete. It's been months, but the Empyrean Tower is done. And it's in the shape of an avocado? Uh, no. Pineapple. Oh, what's the one that um, kids use as a penis for emojis? An aubergine. Uh, uh, Eggplant. Eggplant. <laughs> it's a three-mile-high tower, which actually does resemble something like a pine tree. It's not aubergine-shaped. No, not penis-shaped either, huh? No, it's a pine tree. Penis-shaped pine tree? The moment the tower is complete, <laughs> Mervyn Allen moves in, abandoning the old Chateau d'If headquarters for some new and amazing offices on the top floor. Ooh, and that's three miles high? It is. At Kubel Associates, however, Roland is cleaning out his desk when office manager Tossig sticks his head in, asking what he's planning to do now. Roland replies by asking Tossig if the firm has any more big jobs coming down the pipe, and Tossig says no, and there's not likely to be either. Turns out that old man Kubel's gone crazy. Oh no. The Imperium Tower project was too much for him to take. He was found in Tanagra Square, talking to himself, 
And he doesn't even know his own family anymore and keeps calling himself bro. Oh, no. <laughs> Roland tells Tossig that he too is done. The Imperium Tower has also broke him. And he quits and will never be seen again. What? So he goes home and changes into some nondescript coveralls. His pockets filled with useful tools. A baseball cap. The perfect disguise. Oh, yes. Everyone looks different with a baseball cap on. He's ready to infiltrate the Imperian Tower. The ziggurat is out on the Meadowlands, wherever that is. Mm-hmm. It's mostly empty now, but someday it'll be home to two or three million people. Ooh. On level four is the world's largest stadium. On level 225 is the world's vastest library. Ooh. On level 221 is the finest hospital in the world. Interesting. On level 460, there's an early Cretaceous swamp forest populated by robot dinosaurs. What the hell? Roland enters at level 52, the coordination center for the tower. He takes an elevator to level 600 to the lobby of Paradise Inn. Which is apparently so luxurious, it puts the Atlantic Empire to shame. Sure. Walking to a side hallway, Roland Mario finds a door marked private. His thumbprint is the only thumbprint in the whole world that can open that door. Interesting. And when he opens it, oh, that's exciting. It's a janitor's closet. <laughs> Yay. Yep, just an ordinary closet filled with ordinary janitorial stuff. Mm-hmm, like mops and brooms. But fortunately, the back wall slides open. To a dark hallway that leads to a private elevator. Ooh. Roland takes it to the top floor, the 900th floor, and gets off in a series of private hallways behind the walls of the lobby of the new Chateau d'If. Mm-hmm. Through secret pinhole cameras, he reviews a reception room filled with rich people, both the old and the newly young. Mm. Mervyn Allen is there, but there's no sign of Thane. The secret hallways and secret camera pinholes go back through the plant room, similar to the one at the old headquarters, into a sterile-looking lab. A drugged body lays on one of the tables. It's his old friend, Janiver. Oh, man, they did not take that advice to stay away. The next few rooms are Mervyn Allen's private apartments, which are luxurious and beautiful. Of course. Roland heads back to the lobby and waits for hours, till the party winds down and all the guests leave. All the guests except for one decrepit, ancient old man who gives Mervyn Allen a check. When the bank confirms the transfer of $10 million, Mervyn Allen shows the old man into the plant room, carefully lowering the man's body as he loses consciousness. From the secret hallway, Roland watches the entire process of mind transference, hmm. recording the whole procedure. Mm -hmm. At the end, he watches the old man being carted away unconscious. He heads to Tanagra Square and waits till the old man wakes up, then brings the traumatized janitor home to his apartment. Ooh, yeah, that would be horrible. To go from a young female body to, like, a decrepit old man. Oh, it, I think Janiver's a dude. <laughs> oh, I'm con I was confused by the name. I don't blame you. The next morning, Roland summons Murrus Slade, Private Eye. And makes arrangements to deliver a message to Ralston Every, who, who is currently residing in the body of Roland Mario. The message is to be delivered to Ralston at 9.30pm, and tells him to meet on level 600 of the Imperian Tower. Signed, Mervyn Allen. Next he calls Louis Corey Yaos, who promptly informs him that crazy old man Arnold was right. The new air cars do fly faster than light. <laughs> 
Old man Arnold proved it by flying to Pluto in 15 minutes. Wow. Arnold gets on the vid phone and yells out to his boss about how he's dying. And it's Ralston's fault that he can't die among the stars. What? Old man Arnold. He's a walking corpse. Sure. Apparently that was not just a reference to his hygiene. Oh, interesting. And now it's time for our climax. I'm ready. A swift series of events occur. The body of Roland Mario arrives at the Empyrean Tower with the mind of Ralston Ebery inside of it. The body of Ralston Ebery, with the mind of Roland Mario, invites him to his private janitor's office, <laughs> where he knocks him out with a hypospray. Of course. He brings the body up to the secret hallways behind Chateau Deef's lab, where he comes out of a hidden door and starts to work the mind-swapping procedure. But don't they both have to be unconscious? Uh, that's a very valid point. Apparently he could do it alone. It's quite the simple procedure. Amazing. Unfortunately, he's interrupted by the girl Thane, who, it turns out, has been held hostage this entire time by Mervyn Allen. Ah, uh, no wonder she's so, like, angry. Because the old man that she lives with has the mind of her brother. Oh. She's jaded, but Roland tells her that he's going to swap back into his old body, and then he's going to the stars because they just broke the light barrier. <laughs> Thane is immediately interested and says she'd like to go to space too. <laughs> Mervyn Allen comes in, and Roland and him are about to fight, but then Thane shoots him instead. Because her old man brother died this morning of old age. Oh, no. So she's not being held hostage anymore. Now she can just do whatever she wants. Like go to space with Roland. Mm -hmm. Who, because he watched and recorded the whole mind-swapping procedure, is basically the only man on Earth who knows how to operate the various machines. Hmm. So he declares himself now in charge of Chateau Deef. Oh, great. That's how that works. Once you kill the boss, you become the boss. That's exactly how that works in Soviet Russia, yes. He starts making calls, and in no time at all, he's got all of his old friends back in their original bodies. Oh, good. Janiver, Pete Zare, and Bro. Bro. He's also put himself back into his original body, and swapped the mind of Crazy Pants Letya Arnold into the body of Ralston Emery. Hmm. Thane is apparently in love with Roland now. Uh-huh. Yay. Sure. And they're planning to go to the stars. And they're going to leave Janiver, Zare, and Bro in charge of Chateau Deef. Oh, that's not going to be good. Telling them it's their mission to try to return as many people to their original bodies as possible. And they'll definitely do that. <laughs> and we get to the final words of our story. Mario frowned. Where's Dittmar? Thane said he has an appointment for 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. He comes for the new body he has earned. <laughs> Bro said with quiet satisfaction, We shall be here to meet him. He will be surprised, said Janiver. <laughs> Why not, asked Zare. After all, this is the Chateau d'If. The end. So we have a quick revenge tale for part two, <laughs> where... Every air cars was ransacked for money, but was still in fantastic financial shape. Because they still had a product they could make, and so... That's true. Roland Mario got a divorce. Good job. Oh, poor guy. Mm, good for his wife. But he's off to space with Thane. All's well that ends well for everyone. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> what did you think of that story? It was alright. What was your favorite part? None of it. 
Wow. <laughs> My favorite part is that there is a character named Bro. I guess. That is a fantastic name. Um, I, I wish guess. it was my name. I don't. Let's face it, Ruiz Tremello is the most average name. There's so many of them. Yeah, they're everywhere. You may as well be calling me Steve Jones or something. Dave Smith. Exactly. You know how this works. This has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com. <laughs> or or email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com. We have a Facebook group that hasn't been updated in months. Nope. Don't go to it. Our exactly. Twitter is possibly dead. I don't know. Ooh, if it's I don't even know. If, I think it might have been in- inactivated. I'm okay with that. Twitter's a... Ugh, a cesspool. But mostly go to our Instagram, which I do update sometimes. So, Marguerite, the podcast is on hiatus until the season three premiere on March 1st. Are we going to update our social media at all between now and then? I don't know if we'll need to, actually. Our fans will be able to follow our exploits just by reading the news. Every defeated robot army, that'll be us. Every report of a beautiful young woman burning down a robot factory with her flamethrower, that'll be you. Every rumor about a dashing man insulting a fairy princess and being locked into a mountain, that'll be you. Every expose about a woman single-handedly overthrowing a totalitarian regime and proclaiming herself ultimate president for life. That'll definitely be you. Mm-hmm. Every time anyone sees a UFO abducting someone from their trailer park, that'll be Ruiz. Or aliens, or the government. Or someone else's government. Or a hallucination? Or a self-transporting machine Or fake news. Sounds like we're going to have a busy hiatus. Something something, March 1st. <laughs> <laughs>